0: Was demeaning to me, that has shaped me and marked me, I need to break this rejection cycle. So did you notice with regards to uh, Rich and Joanne that uh, they're mature adults, and yet Joanne can remember back to when she was in kindergarten and called a name. And then Rich can remember that scarring instance when he was a freshman in college and his mother said, he was unwanted. And the thing is, that sticks in your soul and it defines you as to who you think you are. If your mother thinks you're un- you are un- unwanted, then, then you think you're unworthy and you're worthless and you are uh, someone who uh, doesn't matter. And that is something we're going to confront here with the scriptures because you do matter to God. You are valuable to him. He loves you. You're wanted. And so we're going to look at this Father's Day at the faith of our fathers. So if you'll pull out your message outline, we're going to look at several patriarchs in the Bible who went before us and what lessons we can learn, what the practical steps we can have for breaking the rejection cycle as we learn from their lives. They were real human beings. They went through rejection just like we do. And they learned from it, and we're going to learn from them. So first of all, let's focus on Job. And the lesson we learn from him is don't blame God, reframe what God is doing. Don't blame God, reframe what God is doing. And we find this in Job chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. Job had lost in a matter of hours, all in the same day, Everything that was important to him except for his wife and his life he lost his children he lost his wealth he lost all of his employees everything was gone in one day wave after wave of bad news came to him and he said this naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away May the name of the Lord be praised. And then it says this, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Did you notice that Job's attitude was not to blame God? It's easy when something goes bad in your life, when you've been wounded, when you've been hurt, when you've been violated, to blame God. Why did you allow this to happen? I hold you responsible. Come on down here and give an accounting. Well, Job did move to that stage of wanting an accounting from God, trying to get an explanation why someone who is upright and seeks him is going through this suffering. But he did not have an attitude of blame against God. And there's a difference. You know, often when something bad happens to us, we say, why me? Why this? Why now? And why, God? And maybe the question we should ask is, What, God? What are you doing, and how can I cooperate with you? What would you like to teach me, and how can I learn? What are you going to accomplish in the shaping of my character towards Christ-likeness and as a witness to those around me? The question that's better asked in a time of suffering is, What, not why? When you were a little kid, let's say you fall and you scrape the skin off your knee. You're bawling your eyes out. You're hurt and you're just writhing as you're going back and forth on your back, holding your knee. Then you get up and you say to your parent, whether it's your mom or dad, I want a rational explanation for why this happened. Why am I suffering? Please explain it to my satisfaction so that the pain will go away right? No, you don't do that. You see, the answer to suffering is not a propositional statement. The answer to suffering is a person. When you cut your knee, you run to your mom and your dad, and what do they do? They hug you. They love you. They reassure you that you're going to be okay. They might kiss your owie and then put a band-aid on your boo-boo. But that's what happens in the book of Job. Because of his suffering, he gets a deeper understanding of who God is. And I want you to skip with me all the way to Job chapter 42. It's the last chapter in Job. It's right before Psalms, the book of Psalms. So if you go to the book of Psalms and take one page over, You come to the last chapter of Job, and we're just going to look at the first six verses because we're going to learn how Job did not blame God, but he reframed what God was doing. Job 42, 1 to 6. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He learned, just like Rich said, that God is in control, God is in charge, God has a plan. And he can use even bad things in your life for good. Do you believe that God's in control? Do you believe God's in charge? Do you believe that God has a sovereign plan for you to work all things for your ultimate good? Not everything in your life is going to be, you know, roses without the thorns. Or a bowl of cherries without the pits. You're going to have your ups and your downs. And God is in, on the throne. Verse 3, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? I mean, who could tell God what to do and how to do it? When we blame God, we reverse roles with him and we say, I'm the judge now. Let me tell you how you should have done this. We're in no position to blame God. He says in verse 3, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful me- for me, which I did not know. Because the Lord said, verse 4, "Hear and I will speak, I will question you, and you will make make it known to me. You see, Job wanted God to come down and answer all of his questions. God turned the tables around, and he says, Job, I want you to answer all my questions. Were you there when I created everything? And he mentions things very specifically. How did I do it? Uh, I don't know. Exactly. Job is confessing here at the end of the book, you are God and I am not. I recognize I didn't even know what I was talking about when I was asking you to give an account for what you did in my life. And he says here in verse 5 and 6, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In other words... Because I've gone through this suffering, I have shed a caricature of God for a truer understanding of God. Before, I had an image of God that was inaccurate and insufficient. And now I realize more of the greatness of my God and what he's about. So this is important because when bad things happen to you, they can become a wedge Between you and God, or they can become something that pushes you to the bosom of God. And you always want to head towards God in tough times. Don't allow the offense that you interpreted as from God to block you from Him. You build enough offenses against God or others, and guess what you have? You have enough offenses to make a fence. And that fence blocks you from others. It blocks you from being able to give and receive love properly. And it's also a prison, a prison of unforgiveness that keeps you from connecting with God and with other people. And so don't blame God. Reframe what God is doing. That's what we learned from Job. Let's go to the next father. The next father is Joseph. Don't take revenge. Fulfill your destiny. Don't take revenge. Fulfill your destiny. You see, Joseph, as a young man, um, was treated as a favorite by his dad. And that caused family problems. Sometimes there's a favorite in the family, and it's kind of obvious to everybody. It happened with Rich in his family. And and so dad gave Joseph a long-sleeved robe. You say, what's wrong with that? Well, most people had short sleeve robes or sh- sleeveless robes. A long sleeve robe meant you're a leader. Now he's way down in the birth order; he's number eleven out of twelve kids. And this young whippersnapper was given a leader's jacket by his daddy. And then to make things worse, he had these dreams and he told his brothers about them. Oh yeah, I dreamt that you know we were all you know, bundles of wheat, but my wheat was taller and your wheat just bowed down to mine. You can imagine those other brothers just like, the gall, the unmitigated temerity of Joseph. And then he told another dream. He says, oh yeah, you know, we were all planets, but I was the sun and you were revolving around me. What? Where do you get off thinking that kind of stuff? Who do you think you are? But you see, that was Joseph's Destiny. That was God's plan to use him as a leader that would help thousands of people. Now, if he tried to take revenge every time he got rejected, he would be pulled out of God's will and he'd be more stewing in bitterness and having a pity party for one than being about doing God's will for his life, fulfilling his destiny. So, how was Joseph rejected? Well, they saw him coming over, and they said, let's throw him in a pit. Here it says, here comes that dreamer, Genesis thirty-seven nineteen to 20. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. That big shot's going to be a no shot in no time when we throw him in the pit. And they did. They threw him in the pit. But then one brother, you know, said, hey, why don't, why don't you just sell him to the caravan over here going to Egypt? So they sold him as a slave. He gets to Egypt. He gets a job at Potiphar's house. And his wife, Potiphar's wife, falsely accuses him of rape. So now he gets fired and he gets thrown into jail. Okay, let's just think about this. He's been rejected verbally. He's been rejected physically. He's been rejected at his job. He's been rejected from society thrown into prison. Can anything worse happen? Well, he makes a friend, and he does this friend a big favor of interpreting a dream, and the friend says, I promise when I get out, if that dream is true, that I'm going to get out. I'm going to talk to Pharaoh himself and make an appeal for you to get out. And then he gets out because the dream is true, and guess what he does to Joseph? Totally forgets him. You know, we can be offended because people forget us, they neglect us, they abandon us. It's not just what people do to us that can offend us, it's what they don't do for us that can offend us. Now, if you were Joseph, what would your reaction to this series of rejections be? Obviously, you have every right to be angry, every right to be resentful and bitter, and to plan your revenge. And you know, Joseph had the perfect scenario because he was promoted eventually to vice pharaoh, and his brothers had to come to him during a famine in the land for food because he was in charge of the storage of grain. Now, they didn't recognize him because he was dressed like an Egyptian and acted like an Egyptian. And uh, he also spoke Egyptian and was speaking to someone who translated for him into Hebrew to his brothers. That would have been the perfect time to say, Ha, 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 I've got you in my clutches. You don't know how long I've been dreaming for this revenge. I'm going to torture you and you're going to die a slow and agonizing death. Because of all the evil things you did against me. He could have said that. But what did he do instead? He gave them grain. And he gave his younger brother, Benji, Benjamin, extra grain. And eventually he revealed himself and he gave them the best land in Egypt. By the way, he had two sons and he gave them names That if you were to translate the names into English, the names were forgive and forget. Isn't that cool? Joseph, instead of stewing in anger and resentment and bitterness, forgave and forgot. And to remind him he forgave and forgot, he named his two sons forgive and forgot. Hey, forgive and forgot. Get over here. That reminded him... I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be derailed from fulfilling God's purpose for me from the very start. He had a destiny for me to be a leader for the sake of other people. And I'm going to fulfill that destiny. By the way, if he had wiped out his brothers, guess what he would have done? He would have wiped out Israel. Because you have the 12 tribes of Israel... Of his brothers. Sometimes we want to take things in our own hands. Number one, we get derailed from God's will. Number two, we don't fulfill our destiny. And number three, we mess everything up for everybody else. Stay on track. Don't take revenge. Fulfill your destiny. Number three, we have David. And from David we learn, don't destroy. Trust God to work in his timing. Don't destroy, trust God to work in his timing. Now we get a hint that David was rejected by his dad. And you know, there's a lot of men here who have a father's wound because your dad never said, I love you or I'm proud of you. There was something back in the generation that they thought the way to do it is by providing. They were emotionally distant, but they provided for you. They brought home the bacon for the family, but... They never said, I love you. They never said, I'm proud of you. And maybe they even disdained you and and treated you contemptuously. Well, that's what happened with David. How do we know this? Because when God told Samuel to go to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to be the future king of Israel, Jesse paraded all of his sons before Samuel. And Samuel had to ask the question, do you have anybody else? Is there another son? And Jesse's like slapping his forehead. Oh yeah, I forgot. The youngest. He's tending the sheep. Well, what does that say? That in dad's eyes, Joseph was a non-entity. Joseph was the Cinderfeller who was being put to work scrubbing everything while everyone else got off. He was rejected by his dad. But then he was rejected by Saul, the king of Israel. Saul heard this song that was being sung, and it was like this. Hey, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul was jealous. And the book of James tells us that all sorts of evil comes out of jealousy and selfish ambition. He was jealous. And one day when David's playing the harp to soothe Saul, he took his spear and threw it. At David to try to kill him, and then he pursued David to try to wipe him off the face of the earth because he realized that David was going to take his place. Two times David snuck stealthily up to Saul while he was sleeping, and he could have easily killed him, but he didn't. Why? We read in 1 Samuel twenty-six nine to eleven. But David said to Abishai, "Don't destroy him." Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish, which is what happened to Saul. But the Lord forbid, David said, that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go that's how close they were they were near his head this water jug and spear his royal water jug and spear were near his head the next morning David's standing outside the uh, cave he says hey Saul you missing anything like a water jug and a spear that I'm holding in my hands and Saul's like what yeah I was, what you, those were by my head and David's like yeah and I could have killed you I could have ended this whole thing right there. But I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I've taken you off of my hook of accountability. You're on God's hook of accountability, my friend. And I will not live in bitterness or resentment. I will not hold on to these offenses, even though you've rejected me and tried to kill me many times over. And you know, that's powerful. That is so powerful. And it applies today. There may be a person in leadership that you don't like, you disrespect, I mean you just really hate his guts, he's incompetent, but yet you've got to respect the office even though you don't respect the person. Can you think of anyone in high position that you may be critical of? But you know, God places people in authority and we're to respect that. We stand against evil, we fight against evil, and we stand up for what's right. But it's not our place to remove someone from a position. You know, even the godly man Dietrich Bonhoeffer joined a group that wanted to assassinate Hitler. Hitler, that evil man. Don't you want to remove him, God? And they had a briefcase with a bomb in it. And they put it at the conference desk where Hitler was meeting. And the bomb went off. But the table was so strong and solid, it deflected the blast. And Hitler was not killed. Injured, but not killed. And you know what? A leader will not be removed until God removes him. The book of Daniel says God puts leaders in place and God removes people from place. And so we need to have some respect and some understanding that God's in charge. He's in control even when everything seems out of control. David said, I'm going to respect God's role as manager of the universe and I'm not going to take his place. That's important. Resign from being manager of the universe or thinking you're the manager of the universe and give that job back to who it belongs, to God. All right, next lesson is Jesus. From the life of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, our Messiah, we learn don't retaliate, rely upon God to judge justly. Don't retaliate, rely upon God to judge justly. And we see this in 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 21 to 23. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I'm going to give you a quick homework assignment. To do this week, write down Psalm 37. Psalm 37. What you're to do in the first 11 verses of Psalm 37 is just simply underline the action verbs. And when you underline the action verbs, like refrain from anger or commit your cause to the Lord, there's a verse that says, Commit your cause to the Lord, and your cause will be made known so plainly it'll be like the noonday sun. One day you'll be vindicated as God's servant it'll be clear that you were honest or you were right or you were a person of integrity. But it says that we are to commit our cause to him who judges justly. And the punchline in verse 11 is, the meek shall inherit the earth. Ever hear that? Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. The meek shall inherit the earth. In other words, if you have power under control not to take revenge or not to fight back when someone attacks you, then what happens is, that power under control is actually stronger than the might that's against you. And eventually, you'll inherit the earth. Powerful, powerful study. Next, Timothy, don't quarrel. Pray for awareness of deception. I'm about to read verses from the Bible you have skipped over and you've never seen before. I'm not kidding. You ever read the Bible and say, what? That's in the Bible? Here's, here it is. 2 Timothy 2, 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful opponents, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them to captive to do his will. Now, have you ever read those verses in the Bible? What's that saying? That's saying that it's possible for a Christian who's argumentative and quarrelsome and giving the pastor and the elders a heartache to actually be trapped by the devil and actually be doing the devil's work, the devil's will, causing disunity, gossiping, slandering, character assassination, That's not God's will. That's the devil's will. And what can poor Timothy do? He's already rejected because he's young, because he's timid, and now they're quarreling about theological abstractions and aberrations. And and he's saying, what do I do, Paul? And Paul says, well, don't quarrel back. Pray for them that they may come to their senses that they've been deceived by the devil to do his work, and may they repent and do my work, which is... The unity of the body to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. May they repent from their divisiveness and their quarreling and their undermining the leadership of the church. Pray for that. Because unless God reveals that deception, they're going to still be doing the devil's work. And you might have someone who's really against you and they call themselves a Christian. You say, what do I do? Pray that God would give them a spirit of repentance as they break out of their deception to see that they haven't been serving God. They've been serving the devil. Last lesson. Philemon, don't reject others. Welcome them even at personal cost. Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away, which are grounds for him to be killed. But when he ran away, he met Paul, Paul led him to Jesus, and Paul said, You should go back to your master Philemon, but don't go alone. Go with this letter I'm writing for you. So, Onesimus comes back to Philemon and says, Paul, who you know really well, sent this letter. And in that letter, it says in Philemon Philemon 17-18, So if you consider me a partner, this is Paul writing to his friend Philemon, if you consider me a partner, welcome him, that is Onesimus, as you would welcome me, the Apostle Paul. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is a perfect picture of forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is canceling the debt someone owes against you. And reconciliation is welcoming that person as if that person were Jesus Himself. When you cancel the debt and you welcome someone as if they were Jesus Himself, you're experiencing the grace of God. You're experiencing the grace that you've experienced from God through Jesus Christ. Well, these are the lessons that we have, and I hope this series has been helpful in learning how to break the rejection cycle. Number one, the best way to deal with offenses is not to be offended in the first place in other words an offense can only be an offense if you interpret it as an offense let's say you were not invited to something you might say wow i can't believe they left me out i can't believe i wasn't invited that hurts i'm gonna resent that person and i'm not gonna forgive them and i'm gonna get back and not invite them to my event now you interpreted it as an offense but you know what if someone doesn't invite you, you just say, you know, it might have been an oversight, it might be a, you know, something else. I'm going to drop that. I'm not going to interpret that as an offense. I'm not going to take it personally. But if you interpret it as an offense, and then you repeat it over and over again, you internalize it. I wasn't invited. I wasn't invited. Can you believe it? I was not invited. When you repeat an offense over and over, you internalize it so it becomes a root of bitterness. And you don't want that. So only by the grace of God that you've been forgiven by God through faith in Jesus Christ and God paid the debt for your sin, can your sin be forgiven. And therefore, through the grace of God, reaching for the grace of God, you have the capacity to forgive people and to be freed of these offenses and when you forgive and you're freed of these offenses guess what you now can give and receive love you're no longer a prisoner of unforgiveness you're no longer in the cycle of rejection you're the transitional person who's able to give grace instead of revenge and that's only possible through jesus christ Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.